This is the Engaging Podcast. I'm Brandy Dolishall. In this episode, we hear from Leslie Anglesey from the Department of English and Maria Botero from the Department of Psychology and Philosophy. Our first guest on this episode is Leslie Anglesey, who teaches English. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right into the questions. Um, actually, I don't want to jump right into the questions. Okay. Tell me, <laughs> tell me what is your specialty in uh, research? And, and I know probably in your department, you have teaching specialties too. Yeah, great. Um, so I came to Sam Houston State University uh, in the fall of 2019. Uh, I teach English uh, in our English department. Um, my PhD is in rhetoric and composition. So I teach primarily our writing courses. Uh, I teach a lot of our first year writing that's English 1301 and 1302. And then I teach courses on, um, rhetoric, uh, argumentation and persuasion, um, and some of our advanced composition courses as well. So my, my primary interest in teaching is helping students to understand, what writing is beyond a set of rules and a set of expectations and uh, really thinking about how students will use writing, how they already use writing in their lives, how they will use it in their future careers and how writing is used in their academic disciplines. Uh, I think a lot of students come to the university with the idea that there's one kind of writing that they're going to do, uh, one academic essay that they need to just learn all the keys to. And if they could just master those steps that, you know, that they'll have their, their writing problem solved. And writing is far more dynamic than that. Uh, we know in our own disciplines that writing um, is unique. And so I love teaching these classes because I, I really get to share some of that excitement about how writing evolves. Um, so that's my, my teaching sort of expertise. So my research focuses on the teaching of writing at the college level. Uh, I really think a lot about how can we make our classrooms more inclusive to all learners. Um, writing is often taught uh, as, a, as a set of steps or uh, a set of rules that students have to follow. Um, and they often sort of unfold in very organic ways. Uh, writing studies picked up active learning pretty early. We've been using active learning strategies as a discipline since the 1960s or the 1970s. So we sort of take for granted that students should be involved in their learning process, but we don't often think about who is included in those practices, uh, what kinds of learning learners and academic preparation are invited into those spaces and what kinds of students um, maybe don't have the academic preparation or uh, maybe don't feel confident in, in participating. So I like to think about how can we make our classrooms more inclusive, more accessible, uh, primarily for uh, students with uh, disabilities. Other parts of my research think about um, public health communication, how people talk about public health um, to a variety of users and how those texts are created, circulated, and received in, in various spaces. Great. You've um, already answered my question a little bit, my first question a little bit, but tell me what is active learning to you? Yeah, that's a great question. For me, active learning is an approach to education or an approach to teaching that really prioritizes students' engagement in their own learning process. Uh, so for me, the shift is, is not so much that I'm the one with all the expertise on what it means to be a good writer or an effective writer or what, mean, what good writing means, um, but that students have knowledge, they have ex expertise and backgrounds um, that when I leverage it in the classroom helps them to be more successful and helps them um, learn by, by being engaged in the learning process and by teaching their peers the things that they know about writing. There is a, a pretty important document used in my field. It's called the Framework for Success in Post-Secondary Writing. Uh, it was published about 10 years ago and published by several different professional organizations, uh, Council, the Council of Writing Program Administrators, the National Writing Project, and the National Council of Teachers of English. And I bring this document up because it, uh, in the Framework for Success, it defines engagement. Um, as a habit of mind rather than a set of practices. You know, it, to be an engaged learner doesn't mean that you raise your hand for every question or that you answer every question or that you do X task or, you know, Y activity. 
but that engagement is really defined as a sense of investment and involvement in our learning. And for me, active learning becomes a configuration of space, a configuration of knowledge and learners um, that when brought together can really help students both be interested in their learning and also able to demonstrate their investment in their own learning. So for you, it's kind of a, um, a facilitation of that habit of being engaged. Exactly. Um, you know, and that, that habit of, of being engaged or, or just being an engaged person in the world is not something that can be done in sort of a top-down or a unilateral direction. You know, to be an engaged learner means that they're receiving knowledge from their peers or from me as the instructor, and they're also then participating by performing the, the teaching side. Um, so active learning for me sort of breaks up the unilateral or the hierarchical structures that are so embedded in our educational systems. Um, and for me, I, I hope create a more democratic learning space where everybody can feel an a sense of investment in, in what we're learning about. So how do you do that? That's a great question. You know, I, I think that creating an active learning space um, I, I'll back up and say in my younger years, I was a runner. Um, I was not a great runner, but I ran a lot. And I wanted to go from being more of a sprinting runner to a marathoner. And, and I'll be honest, I never finished a marathon. Um, but I, I think that thinking about running as either a sprinting or a marathon is really how I think about building active learning. Um, active learning needs to be built into sort of the everyday practice, the sprint of teaching, but it also needs to be kind of built into the long-term goals of a semester. So active learning should be in my everyday class, but also kind of built into the larger pacing, sequencing, and structuring of the class. I like to think about um, how can active learning be used at the beginning of any sort of new unit, how it can help students transition from kind of just learning a new idea to um, practicing it, applying it, um, and using that knowledge. So for example, in my classes, I've been thinking a lot of my first year writing classes. We talk a lot about writing as not just being a product, as not just being the static or stable idea. And so when we go to approach a new writing unit, we think a lot about what that genre is. You know, what is it they're, they're being asked to write? For example, I might ask a student or students to write a review. They might can change, they can pick their products. It could be a review of services on campus, like a dining hall. But before we begin writing or before I teach them what a review is, we begin by just bringing in the examples of reviews that we see in our own world. Students who enjoy gaming might look to a Game Informer magazine and print out a review of an upcoming game. Students that like movies might go and find a movie review of something coming out. Those students then bring in these texts and they work together to sort of break apart what a review is. They each see a review of some product like a beauty product or a movie. And even though they look very different, there are in fact similarities that tie these things together. Things like all reviews have um, criteria that can be evaluated. They have, they have judgments um, based on these criteria for evaluating that product. So students then have this opportunity to teach or to figure out really what this genre is by looking at their own example and then by sharing it with another peer. Together, then we bring together these disparate examples or these artifacts in order to construct for ourselves an idea of what a review is. From there, then they build all this knowledge that they already have. And as the instructor, my role is to help manifest that, to explain that in a language that they can use and that can be used later on and then to fill in any gaps that they haven't covered in theirs. So sometimes it's just a really informal homework assignment where they don't really realize they're being asked to prepare for active learning. I tell them to bring in a review and then in class they work together to deconstruct this more complicated text. Um, so there's sort of one example of a, of a small kind of homework assignment that active learning is. On the larger scale, um, I'm moving more and more to using um, community-engaged projects in my classes, I'm finding that doing community-engaged work brings a whole new level of investment and involvement in the learning process that I, I didn't know I was missing until I started doing it. So my first-year writing students, my, 13, my English 1301 students, 
this semester are working on collecting oral histories. Um, we were working with a community partner, and then we had to sort of expand our net. Um, and we were looking to find senior citizens whose stories we could record and whose histories we could write. Um, with our community partners, our goal was to then give back these histories to these senior citizens so they can have them, share them with their friends and family and posterity. And for us, we learned a lot about writing by taking down these histories. One of the things we find in writing studies is that when students write for an instructor, it can be very artificial and imitative. They know that they're writing for us. And even if we, we tell them to invent an audience, like write a movie review for the local newspaper, we know that they're not actually giving that to the local newspaper. And because of that, the writing task is never really authentic. What I'm finding with using community engaged projects is that they have real audiences that they are writing for. And that changes their sense of investment. And I think it changes their motivation to complete the project. I'll give you an example. I had a student this semester uh, who was working with a senior citizen with um, some memory loss and dementia. And they were becoming very anxious about giving them back this oral history because we could see that there were discrepancies in what the interviewee had said at one point versus another. And while the student was experiencing some anxiety, what I appreciated about that moment is the student knew that there would be a real human being reading this history and they wanted to get it right. And so while I didn't love that they had these concerns, what I loved is that they were thinking about an audience and they wanted to figure out how to write for that audience, not just write to get a grade. Yeah, that's really, I, so in some math classes, cause I teach math, I think, you know, my student. I don't want my students to just like write symbols on a page. And so, because I say like, you know, your, your English professor is never going to let you write a bunch of sentences that don't have any verbs, um, <laughs> which the verb is the equal sign. Yes. Um, and so the, I, then I say like, you know, pretend that you're writing this for a friend. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I have also experienced that thing and you're, it, it doesn't help you, right? <laughs> and, like, you know, I think it's probably better that we approximate real audiences. You know, the task that you're giving them is always going to be imitative, but it's also probably better than just asking them to practice a formula or write for you. You know, if we can get them thinking about how they would use the skill in a, in a semi-real maybe situation, it does invite applying learning in new ways. But at least with writing, I think there's always in the back of students' minds, even if we're pretending to write for somebody else, I know it's just my instructor. And I yeah. think that shifts how they use writing, even in very small ways. I don't think I'll ever get anything as amazing and profound as sharing a history with a family, but, um, but I can do better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, anytime we're using writing in our classrooms, first of all, anytime we're using writing in our classrooms, students are already going to be learning so much. You know, I can't teach students how to use writing like a mathematician. I can't tell them how to write like a sociologist, but our sociology professors, our math teachers and math professors, they can teach students to think about what role writing plays in those fields and those careers. And so even if it's imitative, I think giving them some kind of imitative insight into how this writing will be used in their future careers or in their discipline, I think offers them significantly more than not offering them anything. Yeah. The, so the upper division, class, so you can tell this to the math majors that you see <laughs> in your classes, the upper division classes are all writing really. It's, you know, they're just writing proofs. And so sometimes I'll see students like right at that interface between the computational stuff and the writing, the more writing intensive stuff. And they'll say, I'm a math major because I don't like to write. And I'm like, uh, bad news. <laughs> <laughs> you will use that writing, you know, and that's, that I think gets me back, which I know we're, we're thinking really about active learning, but I'm always thinking about writing. And I think that that reminds me so much of why, we don't teach, or at least my, my approach to teaching writing is not to teach a set of practices because teaching them an academic persuasive essay will not prepare them to write a set of math proofs, right? There might be some overlays and maybe that's a project for you and I to think about, but um, 
having a, a solid topic sentence and introduction and, and fancy transitions might not necessarily prepare them to use writing in the ways you want them to. And so for me, active learning really is about helping them think about writing on a more abstract level and preparing them to ask questions about different writing tasks that they'll have in the future. Yeah. Everything really is writing, right? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you probably tell your students this all the time, but there's just like no job you're ever going to get for which you need a college degree, but you don't have to write. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one of the first active learning tasks we kind of take on in class in the first few weeks is um, I begin class with a viral story that I, I think a lot of students are familiar with. You may have seen this as well, um, but there was a screenshot of an email that a student sent their professor while apparently intoxicated. And they, they say that they've been drinking. And the purpose of the email is to ask for an extension because they've now spent their weekend having fun and, and, and they're not quite prepared for class. But the the email is so contrary to what we think of as a, quote, professional email. Uh, it uses a lot of slang. It uses the letter U instead of Y-O-U. Um, the, the student says something to the effect of, I'm sorry, you're bald. It has nothing to do with this request because, again, they, they're sending this email, um, you know, while maybe not thinking through it quite as clearly. And the reason the story goes viral is because the instructor responds very politely and, and in a very sort of professional way, but also in a friendly way says, Hey, you know, I'm glad that you had such a fun weekend. Be careful with how much you're drinking. And yeah, get that, get that assignment to me, you know, whenever we look at this in the class and we talk about it one, because students are familiar with the story two because it's funny. And, and I just believe that anytime students can laugh, um, is a good moment. But we begin by then turning this task to them. You know, I, I give them this idea that writing an email seems pretty simple and straightforward. They think they know how to send a good email. Um, but I'll give them three situations where they have to make a request. And the request is always the same. I give them a scenario where I say, let's imagine you had money for your textbooks and something's happened to it. Maybe we spent it. Maybe our, our you know, the money hasn't come through yet, but you need to ask somebody for money for a textbook. And I give them three different audiences. So one would be a grandparent or an, an older family member who maybe has money, a friend, and then a you know, a high school teacher that they liked in the past. And I have them write out three different emails that they would send to these three groups. And what they like about it is it kind of untangles, or it actually doesn't, I think, untangle. I think it tangles the idea of an email. They think sending an email is so straightforward. All you say is, can I borrow money? But when they add in a real audience, you know, how would I ask my grandmother for money? How would that request be different than am I asking my best friend? Um, it, en it enables them to be creative, but also it gets at the heart of what this viral video and what, uh, what the viral video teaches them about writing and what we're trying to uh, teach them about writing, which is that writing is a rhetorical practice that's situated in a specific moment. And the better we understand the moment, the audience, the needs of the audience, uh, what our available means of persuasion are, the more effective our writing can be. And those students drive that conversation because like, like I said, and I think like we all know, students know things. They know things about good writing that their instructors haven't asked them in the past. And in an active, active learning classroom, they get to be the ones to teach me about good writing. And in return, I think I have something to offer them too. So, the third question is the more philosophical one. Why do you do active learning? Or maybe it doesn't have to be philosophical, but. <laughs> no, I, 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 that's a great question. I think there is both a, a philosophical component to it. Uh, I wrote down in my notes um, that active learning for me has both an ethical and a pragmatic reason why. Uh, so I'll start with the ethical because that seems perhaps more compelling. Um, as I mentioned previously, I, I do think that active learning classrooms have the capability, maybe not immediately, but they have the opportunity to make learning more democratic. Students can be involved in their learning process. They're given opportunities to, uh, to dictate what they learn and how they learn it, not by making demands, but by being creators of knowledge. Um, and I think anytime 
I can sort of step out of students' ways and allow them to learn um, in ways that honor their learning needs, their learning preferences. I think I'm doing a better job when I do those things. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of my interests in, in research have to do with creating more inclusive classrooms. And I think that active learning creates opportunities for students, um, really creates opportunities for me to create spaces that meet the needs of more students. So like I said, in a traditional class that we think of where an instructor is lecturing primarily and students are taking notes, um, it really privileges oral AU R-A-L, oral learning, right? Um, and not everybody learns by listening. I am not a great listener for learning. You know, I need to see it. I need to play with it. I need to practice it. And so ideally in, in a learning or an active learning classroom, I'm trying to create different kinds of learning modes so that a student might not do as well in, in the example I, I shared where they bring in a, a text and they analyze it for the genre. Um, maybe that doesn't really work for them. Maybe they're really shy and introverted and, and sharing their ideas can be difficult. But the next day, we're going to use a different learning technique. And ideally, then, over the course of a couple of days, they'll all experience learning in ways that are more meaningful to them, that they'll have better opportunities to grasp a concept because we've covered it in many different modalities. So for me, that creates a more accessible and a more inclusive space I think it also deprivileges having a certain uh, academic preparation. I am a first-generation college student. I'm proud to be a first-generation college student. Me and too. I, hey, <laughs> first-gen friends. Yay. So um, I also started at a community college. I don't know if you went straight to four-year or not. I did, um, yeah. So I, I started at a community college and transferred, um, you know, uh, halfway through and I, I would say that I was not particularly well prepared for college when I, I went to community college and I had great community college experiences, but I certainly did not have the kind of academic preparation that I think we often associate with success in college. Um, and active learning then, I think, again, creates opportunities for all students to kind of level the playing field and create opportunities where maybe I don't have great study habits, but I'm not being lectured at for 75 minutes in order to take an exam, right? I'm, I'm giving students opportunities to demonstrate their learning and their investment in their learning through many different means. Um, so those are some of the ethical reasons, I think, why active learning, why I use active learning. Some of the, the reasons I use active learning are very pragmatic and, and just sort of anecdotally, I feel like students leave feeling like they know more about writing um, and I, based on my, my reading of their writing, I think that their writing becomes better when I'm not just teaching them a principle and breaking it down and giving them a lot of, you know, quizzes or tests on grammar or citation practices. Um, students can build a real foundation of understanding and, and I think academic habits that will help them to be, be more successful in my class. And I hope later on down the road. Um, Another sort of pragmatic reason I think that ethical, or not that, sorry. So I think another pragmatic reason for using active learning is simply that students have a lot of cultural knowledge that, that I think can be leveraged in the classroom. So when we talk about good writing today, um, they can use examples and say, you know, hey, here's how a TikTok is composed. And here's what we learn about a TikTok composition that helps us understand writing. I can't explain that to students. So anytime students can become their informers and their teachers, they can leverage all that cultural knowledge to make writing more accessible. And then I can look at it and think like, oh yeah, you explain that to your peer in way better, way more accessible um, words than I think I have. So I think that's just more effective. Um, the last sort of pragmatic reason is I think at least for me as a writing instructor, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one out there, but I don't find that giving a lot of quizzes on like class readings or homework, I don't find that to be a really good assessment of what students understand and what they don't understand. Um, in, our, in my class, we use a lot of discussions. Uh, students lead those discussions. Um, and I find that as students talk about what they're taking away from a text, 
I have a better assessment of what they're understanding and what they don't understand than if I were to ask them, you know, here's a five minute write that right in response to this question as a way of testing that they read or that they understand. Um, so I just find it to be a better way of assessing what's what progress students are making and what they understand and what I need to keep uh, reinforcing in, in the upcoming days. Yeah, I think my experience as a student was that, you know, lecture, 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 and now go home and do these problems. And I got stuck on the problems where there was no one to help me. Yeah. <laughs> so like um, that, I not that nobody asked me, but the, the reason I started was I, similar to what you're saying that like that confusing bit needs to come here where I'm near it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so anyway, that's what I heard and what you said that like the yeah. bringing it to you where you can do something about it is, you know, absolutely. You know, otherwise you don't know that your students are confused, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you do know, but then like writing is a very complex subject, right? So the confusion can probably be really kind of, they, they wrote something. It wasn't great. Why are they confused? There could be lots of reasons, right? Absolutely. You know, whether we're talking about math or, or writing, I think you're right. At some point as instructors, we will be able to understand or to know that there is a misunderstanding. But I think active learning probably in both of our classes helps us find out the misunderstandings sooner so that when we get to a high stakes writing assignment or a large test, we aren't finding out for the first time that a student doesn't understand you know, a foundational principle that kind of like a, a, like dominoes, if they don't understand that, then a lot of things get misunderstood or, you know, one thing is off. Um, and that becomes a lot, a much more difficult learning experience rather than finding out kind of early on that there is this misunderstanding and then being able to sort of fill in that gap early. So, you know, maybe a low stakes writing assignment that I give them for homework or a set of homework problems um, you know, we find out in the classroom when we're all together and then we can address those in class as a, as a community of learners. Um, and I hope that that, you know, also leads them to, to better grades. And I think that there are a lot of studies out there that show in, in different disciplines that active learning, um, you know, decreases the fail rate, which I think is great. And I think it must because must be because of what we're talking about here. Yeah. So actually there's um, at least in STEM fields, there's some research that shows that it is more democratic, you know, that students who, for whatever reason, be it cultural, um, that would typically stay out of the discussion if I were lecturing and just, you know, who has a question? This kid in the front row is going to ask the question or answer the question every time, unless I stop that from happening. Absolutely. And so that it sort of brings everybody into the process, at least in the STEM field. So there's that research there. And I'm sure that's true yeah. in many other fields and they just, you know, no one studied. So maybe a good a spot for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> some, you know, um, and I find too, uh, one of the, the strategies I've been using a lot um, and so I'll say not only was I a first generation college student, but I have always been a huge introvert. I was never somebody that felt very confident telling everybody else I had a question. I kind of assumed that if I had a question, it was because of my own deficiency. You know, everybody else seems to be fine. So I, I can't ask the question because I'm the only one who doesn't get it. Um, and as I think as teachers, we know that that's almost never the case. Right. Um, so in the classroom, we do a lot of um, kind of anonymous response. I'll just give them all, you know, pieces of scratch paper in which they write down questions that they have. And then we distribute them. We, we you know, they're anonymized. I collect them and then I hand them back out and they begin answering those questions for one another. And I think that that activity does a couple of things. One, they see questions and they, I hope that they see that they all have the same questions, but then they also begin to answer the questions for one another. At the end of that, then I kind of collect it and I can do any redirection that I need, reinforce principles that I'm seeing um, come across multiple questions. Um, 
But I think that that reinforces that I'm not the only one with the answer. And if you missed a piece of information or even something simple like what's the due date, a peer knows and we can rely on our peers to help teach teach the content and also help us to be successful in the assignments. That is a brilliant idea. <laughs> it's simple, I, right? <laughs> and also like if you if no one knows the answer, right? So someone reads a question and nobody knows the answer, then you have instant feedback. Exactly. Um, on something that needs to, you know, be better explained the next time. Or exactly right. You start those. I start those next classes with those questions that seem either the most consistent, like maybe a lot of people had the same question, or yeah, nobody seemed to have a response or a, a correct response, not a correct response, but an appropriate response. Um, that's that kind of immediate feedback that we want to prepare our students to be successful. That's such a great idea. All of your ideas are so wonderful. <laughs> I just borrow them from more experienced, amazing teachers. <laughs> okay. I think we, I, is there anything else that you would like to throw in or? I don't think so. Other than, I mean, really probably just for you, but one of the things I've really been amazed at, at being here at SAM is how invested everybody is in in student success. You know, I don't think you see that at every university. Um, and I, and I love the, the, the emphasis on active learning. I, I, I hope it's revolutionizing our classrooms. I hope students are feeling it, you know, that, that their instructors care about their success and want them to be a part of it. Active learning classrooms, I don't think are always super comfortable for students. I'm not sure they always recognize that this activity has this larger learning, um, this reason that we're doing it that's connected to their learning. But I love that we're that I'm working in a place where everybody's working on this together. And I hope that the more students see active learning in my classroom and my colleagues' classrooms, that that will help them to, to recognize the value of it and to be successful in those spaces. So I'm grateful that you're doing this work. I'm grateful to be among a set of colleagues that's committed um, to our student success. I'm so happy that you're one of us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of you guys. And there, I mean, it's, it's so many, we have such great colleagues who are truly, and so every many. time I talk to somebody, you know, in any discipline about teaching as, and especially active learning, somebody has a phenomenal idea and then I get to take it to my classroom and look like I had all the answers when I didn't. And now you get to be the one that's people are, Oh yeah, I got this from, I guess. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Okay. Um, I think we're, we're right at our time. So I don't want, I'm going to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for, for, for these amazing ideas that you're sharing with me and everyone who listens to the podcast. I uh, thank you for having me. I, this has been such a great conversation for me as well. So thank you. Our next guest is Maria Botero. In this interview, our guest refers to a few engaging classrooms programs, including the Engaging Explorations Program, the Engaged Learning Fellowship, and the Engagement Gear Closet. For information about these great programs and many others run by the Engaging Classrooms team, visit shsu.edu QEP. Our second guest on this episode is Maria Botero, who teaches philosophy. Before we get started with the questions, could you tell us about the particular classes that you teach? Um, hi, Brandy. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, yes, the, so I, I teach philosophy classes, but a lot of them are philosophy applied to a specific subject. So the class, for example, that I'm very interested in transforming and integrating active learning is called philosophy of science. But this is, I feel, is just a beginning. I will also try to apply this methodology to philosophy of biology and philosophy of mind and consciousness, because I think that this pedagogical method is really ideal to get the students where I want them to be uh, in the content of the class. Great. It's, that sounds so much fun. I want to come to your classes. <laughs> You're more than welcome. <laughs> I would love to have you there. Um, so our first question is, what is active learning to you? 
But this is this is a really difficult question because there are many ways of understanding active learning. Um, I think that for me, I, I focus mostly on the active part. I want to think that my students are, are an active participant of their learning process. And I start from there. So as part of um, the training that we did, I always start with the final goal and though somehow kind of like reverse engineering and think how do I get my students to arrive to that goal that I want for the class uh, in a way that they're more active and uh, in charge of how the way they learn and the way they learn the contents, but also in the way they think and they approach these contents. I focus, as I, I focus on the active part because I want students to have their, a little bit more of a responsibility of their own learning uh, with my guidance, of course. So active learning basically is helping students go navigate the contents of a class by helping them engage in different activities like problem solving, case studies, role playing, uh, many other uh, different activities where they're in charge of their own learning, but I can guide them in the way they're learning these contents. The reason is because I, I, I got a little bit tired of figuring out that students will learn a content and they'll forget it right away. I find that they do with this method and when they're more engaged, they learn a little bit better how to use these skills, how to use these contents. And this is something that they can take with them once the class is over, once their university period is over. And uh, it's kind of like a mini practice. So I would, so long story short, I would say active learning is basically design a series of uh, learning activities to teach students how to understand the contents of the class, use the contents of the class, apply the contents of the class, but also think, think critically about those and they can learn those skills and take those skills with them once the class is finished. So how do you do active learning? To understand how I do active learning, I think it's easier to explain it if, if I tell you a little bit more about the problem or the challenge that uh, actually originated this, this, um, this interest for active learning. So I teach a class that is called philosophy of science. And this class is notoriously difficult. You ask any psychology major, they have to take this class and they will always kind of give you a groan like, ah, this is so hard, oh, it's so difficult, ah, it's so boring. And, and it is, it is probably one of the hardest classes I teach because the idea is that I'm teaching them to think what science does and how them uh, as researchers, as scientists are going to do or, or read scientific work for, to include in the work, how do you have to approach science? So students a lot of times become lost because some of these concepts are very abstract they're about science. So they're not learning specific things, but they're learning how to think about science. And I was losing them a lot of the times. When they were writing their papers, they clearly were not showing, they were memorizing things that I tell them, which fair enough, they were doing their homework, but it's not what I want them to do. So I started to think, okay, there must be a better way to do this. There must be a way to get them hands-on. So the way I did it, I decided is to start first, empowering them to be scientists. So showing them, listen, you, you are part, if you're a psychology major, you are in a social science and either you're gonna conduct research or you're gonna be in a job where you have to read research to be able to implement the changes and the interventions that you need to do. So the first thing I started to do with active learning is doing, giving them exercises to understand exactly what science does. So, um, for example, the first exercise that I want them to do is understand how do we come with a question in science? Because a lot of times they, they deal with these finished products and they don't have a clear understanding of where they come from. So the first concept that I wanted to teach them, my, my end goal was to teach them, okay, every scientific question starts by noticing a pattern. And frequently I would start my lecture saying, yes, you start with a pattern, you uh, begin with a pattern, you find a pattern, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, pattern. And they're all writing their exams pattern, but I wasn't sure that they were understanding pattern. So the first active exercise I did with this particular class, it was it's actually one of my favorites. I basically took them outside the classroom and I divided them in groups of two. And I said, okay, I want you to walk around campus and I want you to start thinking, finding a pattern. So remember the definition we're working, pattern is something that repeats itself constantly and frequently. 
And they started walking around and it was amazing. They came with all sorts of different patterns. I was like, awesome. They came from patterns from, uh, I never noticed, for example, how security uh, on campus works until they started like understanding the patterns of how they do the rounds around campus. They started watching students and and it was amazing to see their, their faces when they're presenting these patterns. They said, do you know that students don't talk to each other? They're always in the using technology. And, and this is like a genuine surprise for them. And I thought that's awesome that they're <laughs> noticing that and they don't talk to each other. But it depends on the place where they are. If they're in the library or they're in LSC, they talk to each other different. It's like they're noticing these patterns in human behavior, in nature, in how things are organized. And it's like, this is great. So then I think that we kind of nailed the, the, the concept of pattern. Then I asked them. So then we did another active learning activity, which is, okay, so what are the steps of the scientific method? Start by using that pattern. And, and it's kind of, I, I was very happy with it because first of all, I think I achieved two things. First, they understood what a pattern meant. Second, there was a lot of joy in doing it. It was fun for them, which is, I think is the key to learn anything. And third, that they were able to uh, start feeling like a researcher. And a lot of them started talking to me about a research possibility of a project. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a little bit early. We, we maybe can't do this, but, but that's a great idea. Let's keep working. But I, I, I think I spark a little bit of interest uh, in research. And I think that was awesome. So I do sometimes exercises for active learning when I need to teach a concept that are like that. Hands-on, okay, here's how you do it. And it's really fun. Sometimes I do it in a different way. Sometimes we need to do a, a critical analysis of a, of a text or something. One of the ones that I think I, I like the best is doing walkarounds. So um, thanks to the QEP, I borrowed those gigantic post-its um, that actually I saw you for the first time you using, and they're great. So um I asked them, so when I want them to develop, for example, critical skills, critical thinking skills on a specific scientific paper and how to understand scientific papers, I asked them to find their own research that they found interesting. So I asked them to look at different um, uh, venues where they publish science and science content for general audience, pick one and print a QR code. And they printed their QR codes and then they pasted around the classroom. And then what they asked him to do is go around and there's something about moving around the classroom that I think is very engaging. So they have to go and scan the QR code, read the article, and then they have to complete some questions on these gigantic sticky notes uh, about the scientific method of, are they doing it? What is a pattern that they discover? How do they test it? How do they transform an abstract hypothesis into a concrete hypothesis that they can test? And they started working on these steps and answering the different steps as they walk. So sometimes they walk on the first post-it and somebody already did number one, so they had to do number two. They walk to the next post-it and somebody has done already two and three, so they had to do four. So at the end, all of them did all the steps uh, for the different research that they found. So I really like those ones because on those ones, what happens a little bit more is, first of all, they get the chance to see what their classmates are doing and they get to think, think as, a, as, a, as, a, as a research team, as a group, okay, my previous classmate did this. So how do I take that and transform it where we need to go in the next step? And it was really good. And, and then at the end, uh, I asked the people who owned the article to do a summary and, and bring it back together. Other exercises are a little bit, active learning exercises are a little bit more minimal, more of read, think, and share and then share with the entire class. And it also works really well. Um, we did one that was particularly funny and, and engaging um, that uh, had to do, do you remember the old game of Clue? Oh yeah. So <laughs> I did, so I had to teach them, this is a section where we're talking about variables and why variables matter when you're trying to justify a hypothesis. There's a lot of great logic in that game. Yes, exactly. That's exactly my point. And I wanted to show them that it could be painless, that we do this every day, every time. And then that's exactly what you do when you're running a study. So I did a, a very modified version of a game of Clue. Um, I'm always aware of like different sensitivities. So I downloaded a, a, a game of Clue for children and um, 
so the 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 weapons were a little bit weird like uh the noodle um a noodle pool and a water gun and things like that <laughs> into different rooms um with the different characters so i divide them in teams and i ask them to play a game of clue and again i borrow from the qp i borrow so many resources from the qp i love going to that office i always pillage that closet all the time because it's awesome <laughs> So I give them little the the little uh, boards that there are erased boards that the QP has, and then uh, they have to make their guess as they go along on those boards of who was a murder with what weapon, and in what room, and of course I I, I put the stakes high because there was extra credit involved, so they get really engaged in this and they were like of course yeah I know who it is yeah I know are you going to risk the guessing and it was really fun, and then the idea was that I wanted to show them that variables are exactly like the, the, the clues in a clue game. And uh, previous scientists give you information. So just like other players can tell you, no, it was definitely not um, Colonel Mustard using the water pistol in the kitchen. That's information that um, previous researchers can give you to kind of cut down the variables of what you need to study, what is causing your question. So uh, they, they really seem to enjoy this. So there, there are many different exercises. Some of them are in terms of forms of games. Some of them are in forms of more private thinking about a text. Some of them are like hands-on, you have to design a study and present it. Some other ones are collaborative work around the, the room. Um, I try to kind of always think um, uh, as part of the seminar that actually you 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 taught us in the summer to to think in in reverse, right? What is a goal? What is a concept that they need to know? And then try to pick an activity that um, help them or guide them through that activity to kind of learn what the concept is, know how to use it, know how to implement it, how to act, how to actually apply it to something concrete, and then um, keep moving. Uh, on that. And then, of course, the test is something similar, but on a more formalized version. I give them a, a specific case where they need to solve it using that same content. Sorry, that was a really long answer. But anyway, these are just some of the ideas that I've been um, uh, applying this semester with my fellowship. Those are all really beautiful answers. And what I really like about them, though they are kind of different activities, they're all sort of together what we do as researchers, right? Like we mm -hmm. look for patterns, we look at the, the, um, the second one was having them look at each other's papers, you know? So like we look at other people's papers. It's such a um, kind of a meta view, you know, of, of the thing that they will have to do at some point with applying the knowledge that you're giving them. Yeah, that, that is kind of the idea. And I always try when I'm teaching this class to show them why I'm, what I'm doing in research. So right now um, I, I started a dog cognition lab and I basically try to use all the examples in this. It's like, for example, I'm starting this dog cognition lab and here's what I'm doing and, and I'm facing exactly that challenge. How do I demonstrate Cognition. Cognition can be interpreted in many different ways, right? So, so very similar. You guys are going to have to do this. But I, I have to confess something. I, I, and, and that's what I really like about this fellowship is the opportunity to kind of check your own procedure. So I think in, in terms of fun and engagement and applying hands-on, it worked really well. But it also gave me the opportunity to kind of workshop some of the things that I was not doing that well. And and whenever you have a class and you probably experience this, there, there are many different kinds of students, right? And some of them, the material clicks in, some others, they don't click as, as, as fast or, or they need a different way of achieving that. One of the things that I learned with this fellowship was the importance, and I, I don't think I was doing that as much at the beginning, but I learned through it. And, and again, this is why this fellowship is so amazing because it gives you the chance to test, try and see, okay, this works. Oh, I need to adjust this to kind of like work it as almost like a scientific researcher, right? Project. <laughs> um, and is um, I was not kind of making it very obvious for them how to connect the activity with what we learned. So I thought it was kind of evident. I always say, okay, we're gonna learn about this. Then we did the activity. Then we go back to what I learned, but some students were not making that connection. 
one thing that I learned through this process, uh, many of the students in class were making that connection, but some others were like not really making it. I learned is that it's very important after each activity that you do a debriefing and say, okay, so here's what we did. Here's what we learned. Um, I started doing it in a traditional way, which seems like counterintuitive and it didn't work. And all of a sudden I catch myself doing this and realize, okay, is there a way of active learning the debriefing? And I started doing a little bit about that, a little bit of think, pair and share with what was this exercise for? Um, so I think that worked really well and probably I'll implement that in my next class from the get-go of having them do a little bit of active learning, thinking what they learned through that process. I love all of these ideas. I'm going to steal them all. <laughs> You're more than welcome. <laughs> I'm, I might. So um, the the fellowship, I think, is uh, one of the coolest things that the the um, engaging classrooms program has going for it because like you're saying, you're, there's, you have good ideas, like they're there, but then we we get very busy. And so it's, you know, I have this great idea, but I can't do it the way I want to, because I don't have time to do it that way. And so having this extra thing, this extra time to do it is um, just, I, everybody who's done the fellowship has done amazing things with it. And I'm so excited for it, for them. And also for me, because I get to do it next year. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, so the, uh, the last question is our, is the philosophy of active learning for you. So, which I know is maybe it, the word philosophy means something different to you. <laughs> yes, it does. I, I, whenever people say, what's your philosophy? I, I, there's a part of me that I don't know, like, yeah, but I understand. <laughs> so why do you do active learning? <laughs> so there, there are many reasons. So the first reason is what I mentioned before. Um, it was, it was out of a, a concern for this group of students because this class is so important for them. It can make them so much better professionals in their area um, if they take this class. But um, I think there's also a little bit of background in, I, so one of my areas is um, that I'm interested in philosophy is cognition. And there are many ways of understanding cognition. And um, so the old school ideas of cognition thinks that our mind is basically in our brain. And of course it makes sense, right? Without the brain, there is no cognition. But there are more contemporary theories that I find very intriguing. And is the idea that um, your mind extends to your body, that sometimes you use your body to think through. So the most common example that they give you is, imagine catching a, a, a ball, right? Or a baseball. When you catch a baseball, you don't think there was a very old cartoon. I don't know if you remember it with Looney Tunes. So there was like this little chicken with glasses and, and very prototypical math did the formula where the ball will fall. But we, in reality, we don't do this, right? You just try to place yourself underneath the ball, see, and it's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm a little bit more to the left, more to the right. And, and you move and you adjust and you use your body as movement and adjustment to know exactly where the ball is going to land. Uh, this theory is called embodied theory, and it's the idea that, yes, we use the body as part of the learning process. A lot of times I've thought about this. When you teach a class and you're sitting there and you're giving them a lecture and you try to make it engaging and you tell them stories and you tell them jokes and you have them participate, it's, it's really good. But I think that what is very attractive to me of active learning is that it includes the whole body too. When we ask students, get up from your desk, go and collaborate with your classmates by completing their work that is stuck on the walls. When you ask them, go engage in this project, go, go and um, find this, but then get a partner and talk to this partner and decide who's going to talk and decide who's going to present. I think there is a, a, a more interesting conception of learning and the mind in itself that we're working with. So that's my true philosophical reason why uh, <laughs> I, I like active learning. Um, but I think the, the third one is closer to a more, what I think is the whole purpose of teaching. And um, 
I, I find that a lot of times when we teach our students, we're, we're not teaching them contents because, you know, the internet has everything. And if you forget it, you just Google it very quickly. I think that the real job that we need to do is learn, teach them or show them how to do things with their mind. In particular, I think critical thinking is essential, uh, not only for your profession, but uh, as a citizen uh, to make informed decisions about yourself as a person, about your health, about your finances, about your, your personal life. Uh, about you as a citizen, who to vote, uh, what kind of things to support. I think you need to learn uh, critical thinking is essential. So it's almost like a moral concern of, I want my students to be able to develop those skills. And, and I think that the lecture has a place in the classroom and it's very important. And I'm not saying that I do active learning all the time, but it has to be balanced with an active learning element so these students can learn that uh, ability to think critically about what they're doing and what they're reading and what others are doing. And I think this is what sold me on active learning because it's a way of showing them, hey, this is how you need to think about the world overall. I mean, what you think is yours, I'm just going to show you or, and help you practice how to think about these contents. And I think that has been uh, my favorite part, uh, also because it shows them how to work with others and how to talk to others. Um, so not only is their own critical thinking abilities, but also it's a matter of them um, being able to, to really have a conversation because nowadays we see so many people talk with other people and they have an agenda, they have certain core beliefs and it's like, I'm not gonna get out of that core belief because that's mine. And you know what? Fair enough, you have, everybody has a core beliefs that they want to support, but you have to have at least the ability to have a dialogue with the other and listen to what they say and then compare it to your own beliefs and say, yeah, no, you know what, I'm sticking with mine, I was right. Or, you know what, I may be able to change this part and that's fine. And I think that active learning, besides providing contents, it provides the opportunity of students to talk to another and be able to really engage in a dialogue where it comes back and forth. And, it, and it's done again in an embodied way. It's done by filling in the work on those giant post-its. It's done by discussing the think, pair, and share. It's done by creating a project together um, that I really like. Everybody loves a giant post-it too. It's, it's... <laughs> yes, there's something about those markers and the giant, <laughs> but they, they, everybody gets excited, including me. <laughs> I love them. And then putting littler post-its on the giant post-it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you're, you sort of live the philosophy of science too. You're sort you. So what you just said is basically like, you need to be a scientist, not just in um, your, you know, in your science class, but in your life, you you observe patterns, you fold new information into the ideas that you're producing. Um, so you're really living your discipline. Yeah, and, and I think that this is true for not only psychology majors, but every major. I also have criminal justice majors or, or any other kind of major. Um, I, I think that they, this is a way we need to approach overall life if, if you're going to be successful in, in figuring things out that are important for you. Um, I, is there anything else that you would like to add? Mm, I basically just say thank you. This is an awesome opportunity. I, I enjoy very much active learning. I, I cannot say I'm perfect at it. I, I definitely, this uh, working this class with this fellowship has given me the opportunity to see, okay, what works, what doesn't. I, I, there's still a lot of things that I need to figure out that I would like to change, that I would like to try and test. But I think this opportunity is really uh, an amazing opportunity to to test these ideas and put them in practice and have a little bit of freedom to, to try these pedagogical methods. Because as you said, sometimes we get very busy of, okay, I have to finish this class, I have to grade, I have to do this. Uh, we also get a little bit scared of trying new things because you know, what if the student hates it? What if it doesn't work? And as I said at the beginning, there were some things that were not working. I can see my students not making this connection and that's a little bit distressing because you don't want that for your classes, right? 
But I think that there is something really amazing about these kind of opportunities where you can test and try and, and, and design new things um, to kind of provide a better education because that's what we're here for and, 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 and revise the way we're doing things and, and trying new things for them that may be good. Um, I, I don't know, I don't have a, uh, I wanted to have a metric to actually measure the way they understand the, the concepts. Um, I, don't, I wasn't able to do that metric, but on a qualitative level, I think students really enjoy it and really like it. I don't, I don't know if they do better. It's also kind of hard to know because of course we just came out from this gigantic pandemic and people were off campus and now they're on campus. So that kind of talking about variables that model things, it right. becomes very messy. But um, my gut feeling is that um, this method is really enjoyable for them and for us as well. And there's a lot of really interesting, creative and complex work that can be done with both the content and the skills that we are providing the students uh, through this method. That I, I'm so happy to hear you say these things. Thank you so much for your time today. As you know, we're all busy. So I'm, I'm just so grateful that you have spent this time with me talking to our podcast listeners. Well, thank you for, for inviting me. And, and again, thank you for uh, this opportunity and all your work with uh, active learning. I, I think that's definitely uh, an amazing thing to have in our campus. And I think that so many people have benefited, students and faculty, uh, with this kind of work. So thank you for all your work. You've been listening to The Engaging Podcast. I'm Brandy Dollishall. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and all of the episodes in the fall 21 season. Look for us again in spring 22, wherever you find your podcasts.